Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore podcast, our management and leadership special. As you know by now, our podcast is a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore, and each week we present a conversation across two halves. Part one, the Framestore podcast dailies. Each week, we invite a guest to our regular daily session, set questions designed to find out what makes our guests tick, what they do at Framestore, their career journey so far, and all manner of advice, tips, and tricks. For our second portion, arriving later in the week, we usually hand the reins over to a guest co-host from our Framestore community, but not on this episode. More on that in a bit. This week's special guest is Matt Hughes, Framestore's Global Head of Modelling. As this episode focuses on the craft of management and leadership, we have a special guest co-host in the form of Debbie Coleman, a leadership coach with a significant background working in the VFX industry. This is an essential listen for anyone in a people management role or with aspirations to lead teams. So that's it from me. We very much hope you enjoy episode 10 Part one of the Framestore podcast. This week's special guest is Matt Hughes, Global Head of Modeling at Framestore. A graduate of Bournemouth University, Matt's VFX journey started way back in the spring of 2000, where he joined Framestore as a senior modeler, working on shows such as Three Harry Potters and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He then, after a five-plus year stint, flexed his character modeling chops at Sony Imageworks in LA, working on Spider-Man 3, and then returned to Framestore a year later in a Creature Soup lead modeler role on Golden Compass and Wanted. A few years after that, he worked at Animal Logic in Sydney, Australia, on animation features Happy Feet 2 and Legend of the Guardians, and a few years after that at Prime Focus as modelling soup on a bunch of great shows, including Judge Dredd, a personal favourite of mine, and Total Recall. Now back at Framestore since 2013 as Global Head of Modelling, we're lucky to have Matt on the pod. Joining us for this week's episode is our guest co-host, leadership coach and mentor, Debbie Coleman. Before setting up Open Frame Coaching in January 2021, Debbie had been in the VFX industry since 1996, starting out as a runner at CineSight, quickly growing into a compositor role, then after almost eight years, worked as a comper at Tippett Studio. Then Debbie moved to DNEG, where she rose from VFX compositor to global head of the department within a 16-year period at the studio also a National Film and Television School DFX subject specialist and panel producer for Animated Women UK, I'm not sure we could have gotten a better co-host for this week's discussion. This is a long intro. <laughs> it will come as no surprise that on this set of episodes, we're talking about leadership and management. This is an area that keeps coming up via production and artistic disciplines here at Framestore, and it's coming up regularly as a key priority for our teams. Matt, you have a reputation for being a great leader and manager. Debbie, your reputation speaks volumes. So I'm very excited to hear from both of you. Hello, Matt and Debbie. Welcome to the Framestore podcast. And more importantly, thank you for bearing with that very long intro. You both have so much experience. Yeah, thanks, Simon. Thank you very much for having us. So Matt, thanks for agreeing to join us and enter into the, the Framestore podcast dailies. Um, you came highly recommended from our, our friend, Amy Smith. I went walking around the floor going, who would be a great manager 
to get on the pod to talk about management and leadership. And uh, yours, yours was the first name out of the stocks. So here we are. Thank you very much, Amy. <laughs> and Debbie, last time we caught up was, uh, I think it might have been a panel we did when we launched Access VFX in 2017. Sounds about right. Yeah. Was that, was that that? Was it, it was International Women's Day? I forget. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. So I remember you shared a stage with uh, Fiona Walkinshaw from Framestore way back, way before Framestore was even a, an option for me back in the day. Didn't know what I was doing back then. That was my first ever panel. Actually, I was so nervous, um, but it was great. I met lots of great people as well. Yeah, really. And now you're producing panels for Animated Women UK. And what does what does that involve out of interest? So are you you're assembling panels for events or is, is it, am I thinking, around a different type of panel? Yeah, I mean, panel producer, I essentially find the speakers. So whenever we're invited to take part in a panel discussion or an event um, or whether we decide to put one on ourselves, um, I then find the chair and find the speakers. Uh, and if I can't find quite enough people, I'll step in too. <laughs> but there's plenty of women. It's all about raising visibility so that more women are seen and heard uh, within our industry. Brilliant. No, thank you, Debbie. And uh, as this is, uh, I mean, this is a great, this is a great episode. I've wanted to run an episode on management and leadership for ages, and uh, I'm sure all the kind of budding, budding modelers out there, Matt, will be disappointed that we're not going to get into the minutiae of, of modeling. But we can do, depending on how the conversation goes. Uh, maybe we'll bring you back for another a, a Matt Hughes special where we talk about modeling and get a, get an aspiring modeler as a, as a co-host. Um, but this is a a great opportunity to have a, a, our first special episode on the podcast. Really, really doubling down on what it is to be a leader, not just within a company, but particularly with a, working within a, within a VFX uh, or animation studio. So I'm quite excited to hear what you both have to say. Yeah. So I know I often, what I tend to do with this, these episodes is I do the big garbled intro where I pretty much tell all our listeners where you started, where you did it, what shows you worked on before I get into the first question, which is literally who, where, what, and why. So I'm just going to dive into the dailies because we've got a lot to talk about and we don't want to kind of go over the allotted podcast lore of anything over 45 minutes. So uh, if you're happy, Matt and Debbie, are you happy for me to open the, the daily session? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. All right, I'm going to open the dailies, a cue dramatic sound effect. And bearing in mind, we, I'm also going to involve you in this, Debbie, even though you're going to be taking over chairing this uh, conversation on part two, I'm still going to loop you into some of these questions so uh, you don't get to just sit back and listen to Matt's, Matt's uh, nuggets of wisdom, which I'm sure you'll, 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 you'll share. So, Matt, um, who, where, what? Who are you? Where are you? And what are you working on, if you can talk about it? Yeah, so I'm obviously Matt Hughes. I'm in the UK. I live outside of London in West Berkshire. And working on well, the modeling team is always completely slammed we're always packed with work uh, personally today looking at a new show which is starting i mean this afternoon helping out uh new york get some assets from a show for a, 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 the same client so uh, that's that's my today's list and um how many shows do you have on at the moment in london six seven shows running similar number in montreal and then vancouver have three shows running and as a, as a global head um you know, how many people do you, do you are you responsible for, you know, globally from a modelling perspective? Uh, we have 30 modellers in London, 30 in uh, Montreal, 15 in Vancouver. Melbourne are just coming online in the new year. Um, they're a slightly different mix as they, were, they do modelling and texturing together. 
Mumbai is just building up and we've got um, 15, 16 modelers in Mumbai at the moment, upwards of 100 people, yeah. That's a, that's a lot of lot of heads to, to support and look after, but I'm sure you have some great leads helping you uh, get the job done. Yeah, we've, we have, uh, we have um, you know, local HODs, Montreal, Vancouver, Mumbai and uh, Melbourne. Wow. Uh, Debbie, did this take you back to your time at DNEG when you had uh, also a global remit for 2D? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. It's a, it's a huge team, isn't it? And all the time zone considerations as well cultural considerations yeah yeah it's a it's a really big team but i'm relieved to hear you've got hod's in each location as well i had that too and i think that's essential definitely yeah yeah i mean that's a huge one isn't it because i think yeah as, as a kind of global hod that the responsibility for those people must weigh heavy you know making sure that everybody's happy everybody feels supported and that the, the trick in that is delegation right is like meaningful delegation not just kind of going hey you're responsible for these people, off you go. It's actually giving them that empowerment to truly manage autonomously. Is that a fair, a fair assumption? Yeah, I think so. I think it's um, there's been a lot of new sort of thing in the press recently with this top-down, trickle-down effect. I think it's the other way around. Things trickle up um, where you have to, you know, talk to everybody, listen to their concerns. Otherwise, nobody knows what the true issues or problems are through communication or software or, you know, something, something going, you know, slightly awry. So I think it's having that network of, of um, you know, communication between the teams and then regularly trying to meet um, together to discuss what's going on. That's, you know, that's, that's what kind of helps. I think if you kind of attack it from a sort of, this is how we're going to approach things without listening, then you're going to get into trouble really quickly. It's an interesting one because uh, I think, is, is it right to kind of, it's a broad assumption, but, you know, my experience of kind of working with managers over the years in various HR roles and, and talent development roles is historically the role of manager or global leader was to be almost seen as the expert and seen as the kind of complete set of skills. And to your point, Matt, I mean, I've heard great managers and leaders say that they almost hire people that are, that are better than them. Of course. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, within the modeling domain, there are a lot of specialities or specialisms in there. And you hire people uh, who can do those. Um, and you, you're wanting to bring people into the team or the company that are the best around in that particular area. And not one person can be uh, a master of all these individual disciplines, even though it's within one department modeling. You have shot sculpting, you have modeling, you have uh, costume modeling you have hard surface modeling you know character creature so you want to try and get the best guys you can to come in and then you really are using you know using those guys to help you grow the knowledge within the team and, and across the company but how do you how do you stay abreast of people's development needs globally so you have your empowered leads managing teams but at any given time how how do you know that everybody's development and su- support is catered for you know uh, is, is, is it full trust given to the leads or do you have a mechanic that enables that feedback to trickle up to know how the teams are feeling and what they what they require you have to talk to the individual team members um so as i'm in london i will talk to the the guys in london and the guys in montreal talk to their hold there but it's the same thing where you want to communicate talk to them and communicate with them of course you get your annual review where you can talk about your year and your, um, how it's went and what your goals are for the next year. But we like to check in in, in between that because I think a year is way too long to not talk to people about like, what they want to do with their career and making sure they're supported. Now, the 
hard thing is trying to line everything up where let's just say my budding guy and I want to do some character modeling. You want to get the shows that come in at the right time to give them that opportunity. And that's the thing with people you have to be a bit patient sometimes to wait for the show to come in. But then we have to team them up with um, people who are experts within the department to kind of nurture that and, you know, develop that. Um, so, yeah, you have to, I think, communicate to the team, uh, the individual members of the team and ask them where, really where they want to go with their career. You know, what do you really want to do? Um, and, and I think some people have, in the team have tried various things and they've kind of found a, a path they want to go down. Um, generally, the more sort of uh, junior you are, the more you're going to try different things to figure out what you want to do. Um, and I think as a, as a sort of, you know, hold of a department, you, you know, your role is really to try and nurture that as, as much as you can within the team. Yeah, yeah, like you say, it makes, makes space for that as well, particularly like you say, with the junior members of the team who have more of a sandbox to play with, really, because they're still kind of working out, I guess, where they want to specialise and, and what they want to do longer term, whereas I guess the more you go through your career. Yeah, and I think, that, yeah, and the company has to make that kind of investment as well. It's a, it's a two-way street. You know, it's um, you're investing in um, that individual and they're going to repay that back to you because they'll be more skilled and able to offer more um, in terms of what they can do. And, it's, and I think it works. It's, it's a, you know, it fulfills both for the company and for the individual. There's a sort of sense of growing and learning. And, and, and as a company, you're retaining people who can, you know, do so many things. So, yeah, I think, so you might end up in a situation where you're having to take a little bit of a risk, maybe, where you're saying to, saying to a show, we're going to put um, this person onto your show, they're going to do some work, they haven't really done much of it, but we're going to have some support, and, you know, off we go. Yeah, it's the only way. Because I think on-job training is, 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 is kind of essential. You have to kind of go into the, into the mix and get stuck into it because um, that's where you're going to learn so many lessons it's more pressured but um, i think as long as there's people around you know they can help you it's a fine art isn't it i find having you know on the job training decent buddy programs and um and, and room for for off the box training as well because it's something that doesn't happen enough yes yes and i think you also yeah i mean training is a massive massive topic and i mean frame store's done that a huge amount of investment over the last few years which has been great to see that we have you know a formal training department and room and resources um i think that that's the sort of thing that people love as well that investment and as an artist that's exactly what you want um, debbie what's your take on that because uh, you would have had a similar role where you were balancing on the job training off the job training team support making sure people grow i mean what, what resonates with what matt's just said yeah i mean it's i i'm on the same page as Matt I think it's really it's really key to invest in artist development in order to develop that artist then you have a stronger team then your shows do better and to aid the retention and Framestore has an excellent reputation for retaining you know growing and retaining staff um, so clearly it's working um, I think as a head of department or a global head of department a key part of that is building trust sort of trust me when I place this artist on your show with you and yes they haven't done it before but this is an area I believe they can develop in with your guidance you know explaining that to your show supervisor or your show lead Um, but I think that sits with the HOD to have built that trust 
so that when you do want to strategically manage your artist's career development, uh, everyone's on board or on side or, you know, can be talked around quite quickly. Um, and that's the case of, you know, you know, you prove it over time that I am invested in the artist development and that will ultimately benefit everyone. Um, yeah, but no, I agree with that approach completely. Yeah, but it is, it's about timing, as you said, Matt, you know, you can have, I like to have a strategy. I was focused more on my supervisor's development and then my artist manager was focused more on the, the artists. Um, comp at DNEG was an even bigger department can I create in order to develop this potential supervisor further and then you know looking ahead what shows are coming up but the timings trying to balance that with ultimately you do need to get every show delivered as well so it's a balancing act really yeah the show timing is the hardest part I think yeah to get those stars to align for everybody because you know, sometimes people are finishing shows and you, you know you can't quite take them off so, you know as you say you've got to deliver the show on time um, but then there's an opportunity that they've been waiting for uh, and you can see it coming. So then you have to try and make that work if you can. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, it's probably the same for you. Obviously, I was in comp at the other end of the pipeline, but it was amazing how short notice we would get that something was actually coming in. <laughs> um, and it's probably, I, I imagine it's the same uh, with modeling at Framestore as well. Yeah, I mean, at the front end of the pipe, you're under a lot of pressure from the get-go because um, once the award is on, the clients are sort of, hey, you guys, are, you know, where is it? You know? Yeah, exactly. And there's a sort of, there's an urgency straight away to, to sort of feed the other departments because in modelling, we feed every department, literally. Yeah. Um, so everybody's waiting on you straight straight from the get-go. So I think the team do feel that, um, that pressure. And some of the assets are extremely complicated have a lot of dependencies uh, and so it's good to get going straight away but um, there is definitely a sort of a, a pressure on, on, on at the beginning but I mean comp gets the pressure at the other end is the complete opposite in fact yeah yeah you have days to deliver that's the thing about our industry the date doesn't move it's from the starting gun you know when the end date is and that's pretty much it give or take a week you know that's going to be that's the point of no return. We have to deliver the show by that. Yeah. You know, a lot of other industries, they can, oh, we can push it a month or we can push yeah. it two months. You know, this business, you can't. That's it. It's done. Yeah. Well, this, this is great. I mean, from a, a training point of view, I'm already assembling my, almost could be the three or four T's of uh, management in visual effects. We've got timing and trust. So I've already got my acronym on the go here. So I'm expecting no pressure. So, so it's going to feed into a workshop further down the pipe, I'm sure. Nice. Um, but that's great. So that's question one. This could be a very long podcast. It's very interesting. Uh, so question two, I've kind of already answered in the intro, but I always ask it because I have to answer it. I'm bound by the 13 questions, which is how long have you worked here, Matt? I mean, how long? Because I know you had a couple of stints, as I, I, as I, I spoke to in the intro. But how long have you been with us? 16 years with two stints outside, really. One at Sony, which works, and then Analogic and back in London for Prime Focus for a bit, then came back in 2013. They must have been interesting experiences. It was quite, I didn't know that about you, Matt, until I looked at your LinkedIn profile earlier. But the, uh, you know, coming joining Framestore, then it's almost like you went to Sony, which works to, you know, go to LA and, and, and experience a show in that kind of culture and that part of the world. And the same with Sydney. Definitely. I think um, we're quite lucky in, in, our, in our business where we get the opportunity to, to see other parts of the world and kind of work there. I think just going to LA and experiencing it and working on in a different environment 
a kind of a big American stu- big American studio is quite impressive in terms of their their organisation. I think the logistics of how they operated was really impressive. Coming from London, which was still at the time quite a small budding industry, it was just sort of you know getting going. It was a very well oiled machine in that sense. You know, um, everything was pipelined and um, it was quite you know about like 10, 15 shows. So many shows running, animated features running. So from that point of view, coming from smaller shows in London, that was a bit of an eye opener to see how that structure worked. And then going to Animal Logic was great because it was an animated feature, and I, I really wanted to work on an animated feature at some point. So we did Guardians of the Cahuas uh, first, and then we did a little bit of work on Happy Feet Two and some commercials and things. But for the majority of my stint there was on the, the Guardians uh, of Cahuas show. Again, that was great because it was a very direct working with the art department because they were, you know, part of the company, and a very different experience again. So always, always kind of experiences you have sort of filter into your bigger view of uh, visual effects and animation yeah well, i was going to touch on that because uh yeah you must have brought back so many learnings from those experiences <laughs> almost back to frame store in many ways but looking at your your career so far you know those different perspectives yeah i think you do you you take even in a situation where it's a negative situation just say you you, you can take a positive from that because you can go well i wouldn't do it like that myself i don't, don't agree with that and it's, and it's usually to do with um, not technology or process, it's to do with how you talk to people and treat people. I found is the, is the, is the, is the thing, it's the big thing. That's the thing that, that you, you having you know, people paying enough respect to people and not being dismissive of ideas or some, some instances I've been in where you get that kind of, this is how we're doing it, this is, this is it. And no one's listening to some, to people with good ideas or people with sort of, notions about how we can make something slightly better i think if you go i think it's a kind of bad way of managing or looking at people i think you have to keep an open mind and listen i used to say bad managers uh, loosely but definitely the, the managers who haven't managed me particularly well i've learned more from how not to do it than how to if that makes sense yeah i mean you still take great things from great leaders but the, the how not to is usually the biggest learning isn't it it is yeah, <laughs> it is, yeah. that's interesting because if you feel like you've been in a situation or you've seen or you've seen a situation where you think, oh, that person has been quite badly treated in a way, in a way that was dealt with. For me, I just think, hmm, I would have done it slightly differently. It sort of doesn't, it doesn't sit right, you know. Actually, again, it speaks to why we're having this episode where we're talking about actually the stuff people need more education on is how to treat people and how to, what is it, kind of work hard and be nice to people, school of management, isn't it? It's uh, the fundamentals. Actually, all the tech and the software can be taught. Anybody can... I mean, I'm, I'm dumbing it down, but you know, anybody can drag and drop and do the thing and, and learn the software, but you have to be a innately decent human being, particularly if you want to lead teams. Yeah, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's I mean, some, some um, artists just love being artists. I don't want to lead and I want to just do the work. And other people want to maybe go into more of a leadership role. Sometimes it happens by accident. I mean, I don't think I've ever intended to do the path I've, I've taken. It just sort of evolves. It's a kind of natural progression for some some of us. Some people, you know, uh, have, a, have a kind of a mission, a goal, which is great as well. So you have, you have different um, different ways of getting to, you know, senior roles or uh, lead roles or supervisor roles. It, it all comes down to the individual. I've never met anybody who said, who said yeah. they set out to be a head of department. Do I don't know about you, Debbie, but no, I don't think I have. <laughs> 
just a, just a weird osmosis that happens with careers, isn't it? When you you're good at what you do. Yeah, but I think you as you get older, what what matters to you changes as well. So you might start out being really driven by, you know, the hands-on artist side of things, and then it and then that natural progression towards supervision. And I think a lot of people are really driven to be supervisors, and then some people are really want to continue on that path towards VFX soup. And I think that is a particularly ambitious, uh, you have to have a particularly ambitious um, mindset, I think, for that. Um, but I think for for those of us who, you you know, once you've got 10, 15, 20 years of experience, what can you, how can that benefit, you know, where you work, the people you work with, the projects you work with? And um, it might be that you no longer want to be doing, I mean, for me, my hours as a HOD were not as long as my hours as an artist. Um, so I think having the HOD role, it it came with more responsibility that sat with me. Um, but I, I wasn't working the kind of hours I was as a compositor. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think as you get older, maybe what you can contribute and also balancing it with your, you know, your lifestyle changes as well. But no, I don't know anyone who sets out to be a head of department. <laughs> if you're out there, please let us know. We'll get you, get you on the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Matt, the uh, next question in the dailies is, uh, how did you get your break in the industry? A lot of people have different periods in their life, but what, do you reckon, what was the moment for you where you consider it to be your big break? Well, I was, I was, I was down at Bournemouth and before I came to Framestore, I did a, a sort of stint in the games industry. But I saw a talk by Mark Milne and it was because um, when I was at Bournemouth, I was predominantly thinking about going into into games because games was a bigger was being just pragmatic. They were a much bigger employer than uh, film and um, an episodic didn't really exist as such until you know Walking with Dinosaurs came out. And Mike did a talk. It was a great talk on um, Walking with Dinosaurs. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. This you know, as a company with you know, an ambition there to try and do something which. Um, People thought only RM could do, you know, dinosaurs, creatures running around. And he's trying to do this on like a, on a you know, tiny budget in comparison to, you know, budgets at, um, on Jurassic Park and things. So I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And um, so I just I put my, you know, back there and you'd send in your tape, your, your beta tape mm. or your VHS. Mm. So I set my showreel in. I mean, I, then I actually someone I knew I, I knew like oh, I got a number and I remember calling frames to like actually ring them up and saying have you got my we've got my reel they're like yeah yes we've got it so great can you you know what do you think have you looked at it and they said oh yeah we'd like to talk to you but we're just waiting for you know something that many artists will hear the common phrase waiting to see if another show comes in there's like another dinosaur show and I thought great and I was thinking okay rang a week later nothing happened rang the sort of third week and then it's like, oh, no, the show has gone on hold. It's got it, or it's gone. And I thought, okay, you know, fair enough. And I was up in Newcastle working at a games in company up there. And then about six, seven months later, they pretty much got back in contact. And I came down for the interview thinking it was uh, Walking with Dinosaurs 2 or, or Walking with Beasts as it is now. And it wasn't. It was for a, a Hallmark miniseries called Dinotopia, which had some dinosaurs in it. They showed me some artwork, and I thought, yeah, this is great. And I came in, and then, you know, I started to model and build dinosaurs, and, you know, that was the beginning. I think and Mike still does that talk to this day for all the new starters, doesn't he? 
talks about walking with dinosaurs and how that was the inception of, uh, of, of what Fame Store became famous for. Yeah, and I think it, it was just that um, I like the fact that they took a risk, they took a punt on something, and uh, you know they pulled it off. Um, so the next question, every time I ask it on the podcast, it just feels cheesier and cheesier every time, but it's in there, which is what's the best thing about being part of Framestore, having been you know, 16 years off and on? I think it's a, it's a collective feeling, really, that everyone's trying to do the best work possible. I, I think that's the thing. Like I keep coming away from, from dailies or seeing or from rounds or looking at the work across the board. I think everyone's pulling in the same direction and trying to do... Um, the, the top quality work that we do. I think we all have to kind of remember that we're trying to do work that is you know, the top one percent in the world. We're trying to be that one percent. You know, you know, getting the, the best quality we can in you know circumstances. Sometimes we have short timelines, extreme complexity of shots and assets. It's the fact that everyone is kind of working together in that in, in that one direction. Is something I definitely think is is a good feeling. And frame not. I I find framestore's structure quite flat as well in terms of hierarchy. So if you're if you're a junior artist coming in, and you're in dailies, you're expected to talk about your work. You're expected to talk to the VFX supervisor um, about what you what you're doing, how, how you know what you're showing us. I think that's a really good thing. That's an empowering thing. Um, you know to to get people to you know. To talk about what they're doing and what their plan is for this asset or this shot um, to the supervisor, and I think it it kind of taps in quite nicely to that frame store culture. Yeah, something I've been taking with with the flat structure is having I've never had more face time with very senior people. Like in my previous role, I don't think I ever met the chief executive. Um, and you know, you have you know, again, depending on what level you're at, you, it's not there's not a lot of barriers, you know, to get feedback, to ask questions, to to be included in. In any discussion really from what i've seen anyway in my short time here yeah yeah that's true it's great but i want to talk about what is a common myth about your job role or field of expertise so i'll, I'll start with uh, with you matt and then uh, and then uh, debbie i'll let you think on that because uh, yeah it's a big, big a big question but what is a common myth about your job i think a common myth about um about being hard or uh, or being a modeler or a modeling artist or this is this goes across different areas within VFX. I think people outside of VFX sometimes think it's easy to do. We just have a magic button to press. Then it's done. You know, we just press make it better button or make it quicker button. But it's it's not that. It's actually much more uh, involved. Uh, there's a lot of shows with a lot of sort of subjectivity where you know it's these kind of small nuances that make a big difference in the character. Which take can take a while to to, to get, and I, I I think the thing I've noticed over time is the the complexity of work in visual effects has become much bigger, uh, but I think it's also taken for granted a bit more, and that's one of the areas where I think people maybe outside of VFX definitely don't realise how much is involved, how many people are working on these shots. <laughs> the actual complexity of these shots and these assets and the time frame we have to do it in as well um so i think there's a sort of misconception that it's easy yeah and that's that's come up on previous podcast episodes actually uh debbie is that your take as well from a 2d perspective from your your time at dnec yeah definitely i think as well maybe there's a misconception outside of the industry about the clarity of vision so you might think that 
you know, the filmmakers know exactly what they want. In some cases, they do. And they're usually the projects that run really smoothly. Uh, and in some cases, they don't. They want to really experiment in post-production all the way up to delivery. And that, so what what the audience see, what they don't see is all the different iterations, all the different versions you've had to do that ultimately ends up in one final version. So I think that's uh, not understood is how much work might have just been seemingly throwaway. Uh, in order to get to that end result. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned it on the last episode that, you know, if anybody stays back to watch credits, and I know people typically do now with the kind of the final cut scenes in Marvel movies and stuff, mm. uh, but historically people would leave the cinema and not appreciate just yeah. the endless ream of VFX teams that worked on any any show. Even my time at the mill when I worked in commercials, some of the credits on those those spots were huge huge undertakings and that's when I got a real appreciation for the collaborative effort of these shows and, and the time to your point Matt I mean it's not something that you can whip up in a couple of weeks it's often years of years of work isn't it yeah some I mean some shows we you know some of the big shows you work on from the sort of in, the shot I love watching it from you know the shot from previs to final comp when you watch that history <laughs> sometimes you know the shot is it, it's the same shot as in, as in previs but you've gone through endless revisions, and um, and you've got the, you've got the flavour of the shot from previous, but the, the end result has gone through you know, design changes, um, you know, completely different lighting setups, environment setups, you know, the whole thing. And it's about evolution. People, I don't think outside the industry don't see they see the final shot, they see the final image, they don't get to see the thousand versions of the asset you just spent time working on, you know. I know should should be a prerequisite to watch some kind of like breakdown history of the show before you sit down and watch the movie just to. Uh... Yeah, but I, I think I think that the um, you know, that time spent um, is, is time well spent because you're trying to make it you know as perfect as you can, and in, in reality you could go on forever because it's like any art you just keep going back and adjusting and painting it or you know working it up a bit more. But at some point you say okay that's as good as we can do it in the time and there it is. But when you look back, I think quality lasts over time. So if you would look at something which is well done from 2002, 2005, it, if, if the shot looks good then and it looks good now, then the artists mm. and the technicians and everyone's done a really great job because it's almost like timeless piece of exactly. art. You know, and I think that's that's the thing where everybody's... Every artist, I think, wants something which is, A, you want a great director, great script, great acting good score your work is complementing to that and hopefully in 10 years time you look at it and it still looks great it goes back to quality quality endures doesn't it i mean any piece of amazing cinema lives forever and to be part of i know i've gushed about this on previous podcasts where it is you're part of culture you're part of you know i mean it must be an absolute i mean both of you must have so many credits over the years which you can that's it that's in there in the history books of cinema which is pretty bonkers when you think about it yeah, I think it's a nice feeling for anybody who works on a movie for the first time. Um, and every time it's great, but for the first time in particular, when you go and you go to the cinema and you watch it and you go, oh yeah, I work, that's great. And you see it in, in, in the format it was intended, big screen, big sound, and, and people around watching it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Nothing beats it, really. What was, uh, just quick, quickly, just for the geeks, what's the first, what was your first credit, Matt and Debbie? Debbie, do you want to tell us yours first? What was your first ever credit? Do you remember having that feeling when you went to the cinema and went, yep, there, there I am. Oh, the first one I think I got credited on because I'd done some bits 
of prep on films that I didn't get credited on. The first one I got credited on actually wasn't a very good production. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a version of The Monkey King um, for HBO, um, and it was many hours of work. It was a big uh, project for us, but yeah, not not one of my uh, not one of my top three. <laughs> But still exciting to get a credit. What was the first one that meant something? What was the first one that was like, yeah, this is gonna, this is a film that's going to last forever. This is a, a big one. I think, well, <laughs> okay, it's probably the one I'm most proud of would be um, Batman Begins. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and I think that one still stands up as a film, the VFX we did on it. And actually, when, you, when I watch the credits on it, I see it's the management team of you know it's the people who went on to lead Dean really yeah uh, so it was a great team yeah that's probably the one I'm most proud of almost time capsules aren't they those credit sequences yeah 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 how about you Matt uh first film credit was um uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets oh amazing did the uh did the basilisk and the I think it was the Cornish fairies and um yeah, that, those two sequences, yeah, amazing. It was, it was, it was. Matt, I worked on that sequence as well as a compositor. Ah, excellent. No way. Yeah, the shots with Kenneth Branagh where the Cornish pixies are released and cause chaos. Yeah. I was comping all the um, portraits of Lockhart. Uh, yeah, I worked on that too. <laughs> but that was my first one. Yeah, that was good. It was a very different time. I, I, I think back then as well, the VFX was not as uh, set up as the machine it is today it very it did feel more of a um you know sort of specialist crafty kind of thing it wasn't like a big slick machine it was much more kind of a a cottage industry yeah the wild west very much (laughs) (laughs) so moving into a bit of a quick fire round now uh which is all about kind of mentors and and lessons learned so question seven in the dailies is uh what is the most important lesson you've learned over your career matt Listening and being patient, I think, are two two things for me. Whether it's listening to the brief again, just to make sure I'm getting I'm getting the brief correct, I'm kind of asking questions about that brief if I'm not sure, not just sort of blindly going, "Yep, yeah, understood," and walking away, and then ten minutes later going, "Oh, damn, I don't know, I don't really know what, what what the point of that brief was." So that's what I think that's a lesson there. And also, just being a bit patient, not trying to. Um, rush things but also waiting for things to fall into place sometimes you know because it's a kind of chain reaction you do something someone else does something that comes back to you there's a sort of loop there uh, and just sort of you know being patient on that loop sometimes um, yeah give people that space particularly to your point around quality yeah it doesn't happen by you know pushing people you know, you've got to yeah within reason give people that space right to deliver yes i think uh you know, nobody likes to be micromanaged. Anyone, you know. Yeah. It's, it feels like uh, it almost has the opposite effect. Yeah. Actually, you know, it, it people if you if you kind of do that and don't give people space and time, uh, you get a better, you get a worse result. Actually. Yeah, I agree. You get something which is just okay. I've done it. I've done. I'm done with it. It's great. Thank you. Whereas you give people a bit of space to own the thing they're working on and invest in it, you get a much more crafted thing back. Because it's still a craft. All these individual disciplines, it's a craft. It's an art form. It's not. It's not a just a click a button and I've, I've, I've finished the task. Yeah. You know, you're trying to make something, or whether it's compositing, look, they have lighting, you know, creating art, really. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. 
I mean, I always talk about it in, in those kind of terms. I mean, we talked about it briefly on, uh, we had Daniel Mizuguchi, the head of animation from our Vancouver studio on episode two. And we talked about just that as, you know, I never talk about our, you know, yeah, our teams as departments. I don't like that. I feel like we're working a kind of paperclip factory. You know, it's very much a craft, a discipline. It's, you know, and actually it's what we're talking about today around the, you know, the art of patience and the art of, of, of listening skills, you know, that's a craft, you know, it's something you, you're not just born with. You, you learn that over you, over time, don't you? Yeah, you do. Yeah. What about you, Debbie? Any, any big, uh, big lessons learned in your career? Yeah, I think one of the biggest was as I moved into a management role for the first time. So my natural tendency is I like to be organized. I like to have a plan. I like to plan ahead. And once I sort of saw behind the curtain of how shows are constantly in flux, um, you, you, you know, I, uh, at first I would spend ages planning exactly the right team of artists for each project and it, and then it all changes and it all changes and it all changes. So I had to quite quickly learn to become far more flexible and adaptable. So still have a plan, but it's a plan that can mm. really flex because it will need to. Um, because everything will constantly change. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of, I realized that was the only given is that it will constantly change. So I need my plans to be very fluid. Uh, and that was quite a big lesson uh, and went against my sort of natural preferences, um, but was really essential. Yeah, it's very true. It's, it's, I think there is a filmmaking is a chaotic process. I think a lot of creative the act of creation can be quite chaotic so the clients on set they're thinking about you know the things happening on set they they know that we're behind the scenes still starting on show we're working on show but their main point of focus is what's in front of them and if you have, a, have an opportunity to go on set at any point and work for a while you should definitely do it because you get to see the other side of the coin you actually see what you know filmmaking is actually like for real for real and it's quite mad it's quite mad um, how things change on the day and to the minute where you know things are moving at that much of a pace and that, that trickles down to us that, that affects us in, in visual effects you know sequences come they're good they've finished don't want to change that sequence we've done an edit it, it's not working and, and all these decisions that get made um, they, they affect us and they essentially affect um, you know other shows as well because this change could affect another show because artist day is no is now required for an extra six weeks uh, and it's that kind of stress it puts onto the onto the company you're right i think you you, you approach it with a plan but very quickly you have to adapt the plan yeah <laughs> yeah you can't be too rigid like i say the final date doesn't change but the journey to that date can flex and mm. uh, speaking of the shows um i'd be remiss of me not to ask one more question around the shows for, uh, particularly for you yeah. matt which is um if you could recommend, it's almost a desert island frame store show. If you could recommend one show that showcases frame store at its very best, what would it be? For me, the shows that have done won the awards like Golden Compass and Gravity were um, amazing. They stand test of time and they look fantastic. But for, personally, for me, the show I worked on Golden Compass, I didn't work on Gravity. But um, the show that for me showcased frame store was Harry Potter 3 when we did the Hippogriff. Purely because we had no, everything was new, and it was a big risk to take on that character. Everything was new. We didn't have a, we had a guy come in to do set up a database. We had to write a subd library thing because we weren't going to use nerbs to build it. We had to do fur and feathers. We had to write new tools for grooming. 
we had a uh, figure out how to split out the feathers against one another. So we had like sort of sorting, um, a rendering time. There's, there's so many new things, so many new challenges. And again, it comes back to, like, I'm sure the guys in Gravity would say the same. You know, it's it's all about those new challenges all coming at once, which is kind of kind of daunting, but it's exciting as well because you know you're trying to trying to achieve something which you haven't done before. Yeah, and and it's a new it's new territory, uh, and I and it's an amazing team, amazing atmosphere, and I, I still think it looks great. Yeah, and I and it comes back to that first thing about ambition about taking on something we don't know how we're going to do it yet we're going to figure that out as we as we as we try we haven't got all the answers yet and that that, that sums it up for me really it must be nice not to go into these shows with a kind of like rinse and repeat mentality to actually go we've got to get this off the ground we've got to make this completely believable and then working with great talent to achieve it and then create kind of like a new ip or a new way of working or workflow pipeline whatever you want to call it i think that must be truly exciting yeah, I think it is. I think it's um, it's just a, you know having. I mean, all all shows come with challenges, and some of the shows you've had in recently, you know, the complexity is way more than the complexity of the show I'm talking about. Um, but at the time, that was like, oh right, you know, how are we going to do it? And it was quite exciting. So, mentor-wise, Matt, who would you cite as being your most important professional mentor? It's a good question. I think it's a couple, it's like an accumulation of people. I feel it's not just one person. So. Coming to Frame Store, it was a, a CG supervisor at the time. Was a guy called Alex Knox. What struck me about him was his sort of very calm in the face of pressure. He didn't seem ever flustered, and that that was very good for the team because it had a kind of influence on the team of being calm and collective. And then working with um, Felix Baldus, he came in from Weta um, on Harry Potter two and three and four we worked on and he was a rigging artist but again he had uh, what struck me was that the, he was like a different operating at a different level he just come on off wet and he really knew his stuff he's really generous with his knowledge and really generous with his time so as a kind of guy sitting next to him for a few years he re- learned a huge amount which was amazing and it, it was no he was just very open with you know talking about stuff and showing stuff which was great and then i think other supervisors are in frame store we've some are still with us some have moved on of a similar a similar thing it's about being calm in the face of pressure but also having enough time making time for people making time to to ask you answer your questions or to even just drop by and see how you're doing i mean that's that's the sort of thing and those people other people i think that stick with me yeah it's all those kind of human human factors isn't it with, with great leaders i always find like say calm generous with time yeah. almost no ego you know those cl- the classic open door um but, you know, appreciating those people are busy, but they'll always make that time for the team. Everything you said earlier about supporting a team of over 100 modelers, you know, it's about being attuned with, with, with what people need and, and creating that, that, that environment, you know, it's great. Yeah, and I, I think from a sort of, if you look at the sort of spatially how things are set up at Framestore, like in, on like a, in a real world sense, I've always liked the fact there aren't any office doors, literally. There's like no offices. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no knock the door and... Yeah, way to be granted entry. Yeah, I, I really like that. It's uh, you know, and if you're out in your new building, there are some, but the doors are always open, so you can just walk in and speak yeah. to you where you need to speak to. So, question nine is uh, one of my favourite questions on the podcast, uh, and this is a question to both of you: is uh, what underrated tool or tools are indispensable for your job? So, the non-obvious tools. Uh, do you have a go-to, Matt? Honestly, I think a drawing book and a pencil is the, is the thing you have to keep with you at all times. Nice. 
<laughs> because uh, technology changes all the time. The software you use tomorrow in five years could be something else. But the one thing that doesn't change, hopefully, is your outlook, your observation, looking at things. And I think if you just if you can keep that, then you can adapt to any other tool that comes your way. I love that. That's great. Now, what about you, Deb? What's your... Uh... Yeah, that's a great answer. Uh, I would say uh, somewhat similar. I think always it's about looking around you at the natural world. So reference, reference material, but real world reference material. So just using your eyes, really seeing how light interacts with surfaces and um, yeah, just just being observant about the world around you because essentially that's what we're trying to recreate, isn't yeah. it, on the screen? Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah, we've, this first time we've had the, a sketchbook on the on the podcast. A lot of people have gone for apps and, you know, these kind of life hacks. But I think there's something about just, yeah, being in tune with what's going on. I think a drawing book is great because you can you can draw, you can sketch, you can take notes, you can draw little diagrams when you want to explain something to yourself or to somebody else. So I, I just think that's like an essential thing you have in your, in your bag. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So into advice now, uh, and again, I'll definitely draw from both of your fields of expertise is what one piece of advice would you give to someone starting out in your field Matt what if somebody wants to get into modeling what what's the first nugget that you would send their way I, I think if you're uh, coming into modeling it's, uh, specifically don't worry about uh, the software don't worry about um, trying to say I'm, I'm in this camp on this bit of software or on that camp on this bit of software I think it's just being open-minded and continue to be open-minded as you as you progress through your career and, and to you know not not fall into a camp of I, I just do this or I just do that. To think of it as a every opportunity is like a different thing, different way of looking at an, ex, an experience. Uh, you know, um, but don't don't box yourself in too early. Uh, I talk a lot about squiggly careers and how there's no linear di- uh, diagonal line to no you know, global head of anything there's a lot of twists and turns and life situations and professional situations you may start off in modeling and end up in in writing i I don't know i mean who knows i mean that's if you keep an open mind you might find something in the department in in the company you work for that really really gets your you know sort of excitement and attention and you think actually that's what i really want to do debbie what about you uh i would probably say to remember that you're part of a team um, I think we everyone does have their own tasks and responsibilities, but one of the wonderful things about BFX is we're each part of a team, and it's you know it is a collaborative process, it is a creative process. Uh, I think that helps with the learning side of things. You know, if you're part of a team, you're there to learn from each other and teach each other, and I think it helps with the stress side of things. It doesn't all sit on you. You are part of a team. You know, it can be spread. The burden can be spread. Uh, so I think both the knowledge and the burden can be spread. So I think it's really important um, to, to remember that and not feel siloed or isolated. Yes. I think particularly now with hybrid working, working from home, I notice it quite a lot in my coaching. Quite a few people feel quite isolated. Yeah. So I think it's really, yeah, remembering it. You're not on your own. You're part of something bigger in a good way. Yeah, that's a great point. And actually, what you've done just there, Debbie, is given us our third T our third T in the management um, oh, nice. acronym. T. So the, the three T's of management and leadership, trust, timing, and team. Yeah, We may get into four nice. or five in the episode two, <laughs> but I'm loving this. This is great. And I'd love to get in, in episode two. It'd be great to, to have a bit more of a conversation around managing people through the this hybrid lens that we're now in. I think that could be a really, really interesting uh, deeper dive. So 
we're nearly at the end of episode one, uh, Debbie and Matt, and I've got a few questions that kind of bring us to a neat close of the the dailies. One is uh, one of my another one of my favourite questions on the podcast, which is, "What's one question you wish I'd asked you, and how would you have answered, Matt?" It's not to do with leadership, but more uh, what's a, like a fun thing that's happened to you at work or a bizarre situation you found yourself in. And how would you have answered that? I'm intrigued. Well, it, it crossed my mind this week because. Um, it's kind of how my brain works, I guess. The drummer from the Jet Black from the Stranglers died, and I thought, oh, well, yeah, he was. You know, it was a song, you know, they did Peaches, which was part of um, the intro music to the film Sexy Beast with Ray Winston and Ben Kingsley. Yes. And I was working out on Pinewood on a brainstorming week called Thunderbirds, and my director was. We were out on set working, I and mean, on a Sunday night, I watched. <laughs> the movie Sexy Beast. And I thought that was brilliant, and I thought um, Ben Kingsley's character was. Great. And uh, Ben, is it something Logan? Don Logan. And uh, we were at Pinewood working, and then I turned around, and the director was standing behind me with Ben Kingsley. And I went, oh, my God, it's Don Logan from, you know, he just gave me the fear of God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just turned around, and you're just looking at me, and I went. It's a terrifying character. I didn't think Ben Kingsley. I just thought of the guy from the movie. Oh my god! He embodied that character, didn't he? He was. I mean, he was. That was a relentless. He's up there with your greatest movie villains of all time. Yeah. That character. Yeah, Terrifying. So I think sometimes in the, in the business you get like wacky little things like that happen to you, which are quite fun. Brilliant! I love that. Um, who would you like to hear from on the podcast next, and why? Some, some. Like, I don't. Maybe someone like Andy Kind, VFX supervisor, who I've known for many years. Who you know started out in lighting and look dev and he's always a tremendous artist uh, and now um, he's at the top of the tree on big shows i'd love to see how hear his perspective on his progression and how, how he's finding a change from being an artist to managing effectively a whole show of artists oh hopefully andy's listening to this yeah i don't know what the listenership is like internally at the moment but uh I don't know if andy's a podcast guy andy if you're listening i'm coming for you so our fun pairing question now, so it used to be one, but it is now two, is uh, if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? I, I kind of class coffee as a meal, so it would be coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it has some nutritional value, doesn't it? How do you have your coffee, Matt, just in case anybody wants to treat you? How any way it comes. I really don't, I'm not really not fussy as long as it's strong. It's happy with the... Okay, so black, white, oat milk. No oat milk for me. My wife likes that. I'm not, I'm not, not such a fan, but just black is fine. Yeah, I'm a black coffee man, so you're preaching to the choir there. I could survive off that on the desert island. <laughs> That's it, just a constant stream of coffee. How about you, Debbie, out of interest? What was your what would you have said? I uh, I a veggie lasagna. Ooh. Veggie a good veggie lasagna, homemade, homemade either by myself or my mum. <laughs> homemade veggie lasagna. That's my top favourite meal. Okay. Who wins out? I'm assuming um, Coleman Senior would probably cook the better one. It's got to be my mum, right? Yeah, you can't can't say you cook a better lasagna than your mum. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So the final question isn't, and the final question, I'm not sure about this final question because the, uh, we, on episode one of the podcast, we interviewed Sergio Gonzalez, our unreal trainer, and his answer to question um, 11, which is the one question he wish I'd asked him was what music he listens to. And I thought it'd be fun to curate a, a Spotify playlist based on the dailies and I've been asking it ever since and loads of people don't listen to music I thought everybody did while they're working at least so I'm going to ask you anyway Matt what music do you listen to while you work if any uh well yeah I love music so I'm a massive kind of fan of all kinds of music but when I'm at work and I'm on the box and I'm doing something it's usually 80s and 90s thrash metal oh. is is my uh is my choice 
Amazing. Well, I will be coming for two tracks for the podcast playlist. Love it. Any any standard staple band that will be on that playlist? Uh, ooh, it's the it's the it's the big the big bands everybody knows, I guess. You know, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, Pantera, that kind of thing. I just find it's very. I actually find it really relaxing to listen to, and it, it kind of just sort of takes all the back background noise away, and you can just focus. I was a proper rock chick back in the day. I was a Donington Monsters of Rock. Excellent. You know, I've seen most of those bands live, oh, but for work now, I'm the other extreme. I'm like nice, chilled electronica. So something like John Hopkins or Fortet or something that's just pleasantly keeping me focused so it's quite the opposite for when i'm trying to like i don't know think <laughs> well you get two tracks each for the uh, the playlist i'll be speaking to you after the podcast to get those on the uh, added so people have got something to listen to but uh well i see you have a lot in common you guys you both got um you know heavy heavy metal and uh both worked on uh, similar similar shows yeah chamber of secrets yeah chamber of secrets Amazing. Well, thank you both. Um, I'm going to be handing over uh, to Debbie for episode two, where we have a deeper dive on management leadership, which I'm very excited about. So Debbie and Matt, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that was part one. Join us for part two of the Framestore podcast this Thursday, where Debbie takes over proceedings as co-host and interviews Matt. See you then.